Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Episode 55 of Unplugged and Undeniable. My name is Jesse Velasquez. Week one of the open is finished. You'll be hearing this on the day that week two is dropping. Anthony Davis was my guest last week. I'm assuming that the Kingfield community is going to be quite excited for this guest coming up with us today. Lindsay Sayoka, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. You've got me fresh off my cup of coffee this morning, so I am caffeinated and well-rested and ready to go. The neurons are firing, I'm assuming. Very much so. Do they ever turn off? At the end of long days, they do. You can tell when things don't quite come out right, right? A lot of mistypes, so the words just are word salad coming out of my mouth. But I'm pretty, I'm on most of the time. I never see or hear from you after, I would say, 5.30 p.m., so I'm assuming it's that 6 p.m. range of beyond where it can get a little bit dicey. Probably by like 7.30, 8 o'clock. Just like, we're done working for the day now. <laughs> Full days, that is for sure. I'm actually going to bounce around just a little bit since this is a CrossFit Open podcast. The correlations with your work in law and being a competitive CrossFit athlete, are there any things that kind of tie together and make you better in both areas? You know, I really think there are. I actually haven't done CrossFit without practicing law, and I haven't practiced law without CrossFit. Um, I came pretty close this year after my knee surgery, which I'm sure we'll get to later. Uh, I discovered that I'm a much better lawyer when I can get into the gym and hit my training. Um, And I do think that even being a CrossFit athlete, like part of having to balance that with being a pretty high level professional that's in a really high level, high stress job really forces me to balance a lot. Whereas I think some people can be kind of all or nothing, which can really burn people out. Um, So I think it's good for me to kind of balance both professionally and athletically the commitments that I have. And I do think that being a lawyer makes me a better CrossFit athlete and coach. And I think being a coach and athlete also make me a better attorney and kind of provide that third outlet for me. So it's just not home and work. I have like home work and CrossFit. There's a lot of things. I know that you try to find some downtime in between there. I know you do a great job over the summer of taking that week to reset away from the state. Kind of go into that a little bit. Um, you know, I try to practice what I preach as much as possible. Um, I, I will work a lot. But I do try to take, I call it the Sayoka summer sabbatical. I take the last week off in July and normally the first week off in August to really kind of unplug. I normally am on the road. I see a good friend of mine in upper Michigan in the UP to see her. I got to get up there this summer to see her and her new kiddo. Um, Actually, that's the second. She's got two kids now. Um, But I go to Door County with my mom religiously and I almost every other year I go to the CrossFit Games, but it's just good to get out of the city, off my email every day, out of the office and with some great weather and just get on the water, whether it's Lake Superior, um, Shano Lake, where I'm from, and just kind of get out of the office, get out of the city, unplug and see my people. It's good for me. 
we all need that reset in one way, shape or form. And you were born, I believe, in a small town, or at least you grew up there. Do you enjoy both spots equally? Has it like you've been in the city here for, I believe, a decade, maybe a little bit longer? Or do you like one more than the other? You know, I've been asked that before. I love the things about a small town. And there's some things that I really feel like I lived in downtown Minneapolis for the last 12 years now. And I love living in Minneapolis. Minneapolis is my home. When I've traveled abroad, when I come home, Minneapolis feels like home to me. At least it's been the better part of my adult life that I've been here. So I like it in big towns and I like it in small little towns where I don't love it is the suburbs. So I like big cities and small towns. It's the in-between where I'm like, this is not for me. Uh, but I lived in the heart of downtown Minneapolis, which was really kind of a cultural melting pot, um, so to speak, with young professionals, a range of people from racial and cultural and ethnic backgrounds, ages, people who have young and old and a really big blend of families. Um, I'm I live on the west side of downtown now, but I've always been a downtowner. Um, my office is downtown. My gyms have always been close to downtown. So that's kind of what I know. And, it, you know, it has its pluses and its minuses. But I've always said that Minneapolis, um, at least before the pandemic, I know it's hoping to make a comeback, has a great restaurant scene. And if you travel, you'll learn that Minneapolis is probably one of the cleanest metros in the country. Uh, I think that really speaks for itself. So I'm hoping that downtown will kind of rebound after the pandemic and some civil unrest, because it really is just this beautiful kind of gem in the Midwest, like outside of Chicago. It's got some great restaurants. I think there's fantastic shopping that you can actually do. It's got great arts. I think there's performing arts between the orchestra and the Kohl Center. And between sports, I'm a huge, huge sports fan. So talking about the Timberwolves, the Vikings are downtown, the Twins. Um, even in St. Paul, we've got teams there too. But even Minneapolis has so much to offer. And I think it's just got this rich cultural background when it's like in a good place. I think people who live downtown and who have kind of dedicated their homes to being here, hoping that that kind of bounces back after the pandemic. Um, but I also love small towns. I love running into everyone, you know, I, you, where you can wave at everybody, where you can turn on the corner. You've got to give the wave as you turn. Um, so I love that. I, being on the lake in a small town is something that's really special. Um, but yeah, small towns, big cities are for me, it's the in-between and in the suburbs where I'm just, I feel like a fish out of water. So probably a long winded answer, but that's, I love my places. Let's tap into the suburbs real fast. What is it that leaves you flustered and confused? Um, frontage roads and strip malls. And Jesse, I know that you're a suburbs guy. You live in the suburbs, but I get lost on frontage roads. I don't know where I'm going. I feel like everything's a chain restaurant or a strip mall. And I'd rather get like pockets of like culture and weird spots in downtown um, and hit like mom and pop shops and small towns um, that are a little bit more for me. Sometimes even downtown just feels like a big small town. So, but that's nothing against the suburbs, but front of rows, strip malls and chain restaurants are just aren't my cup of tea. In that sense, I'm with you. I'm trying to think how long I lived in Minneapolis for, for my entire life, 18 Three quarters of it, 75%. So I've been a suburb, a suburbanite 25% of the time. I do miss the city and I've been asked if I'm ever going to leave the city from a working perspective. And I said, there is no chance in hell. I, I absolutely will not. I would absolutely, I'd miss it too much. Yeah. So 
with you back to the city and the civil unrest over the last, oh my gosh, since May of 2020, it may have even been a little bit before that. How much change have you seen? Have you seen more unity? Have you seen more division? Just give some descriptions on what you've seen since you're pretty tied in up close and personal. You know, I really am. And I think it comes from a unique lens of being a public defender. And what we see every day in police reports and then in body cam videos or in squad videos about this tension with um, Black people in the police. So that's kind of an everyday occurrence for us to see and like, you know, fighting the system. We fight them in. We do everything we can to fight for the underdog, which we do every single day. Um, My staff does a fantastic job of it. And it's really part of our mission. Well, we we represent everybody, whether you're, you know, black, white, um, it doesn't matter. But race in the police is a very huge topic for a lot of a a big majority of the clients we represent. So something that we always knew, but then after George Floyd's death, like it was kind of this awakening. And for everybody else, almost in the world, not even just in the Minneapolis community, but worldwide. So I think that was really interesting for us to see that now the whole world, the city kind of recognizes the issues between black people and the police. So I I think it's been tough, I think, for people to kind of reconcile where they land on the spectrum of how much, you know, they care about the issues and what they what they think the solution is. So I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the discussion, but I think kind of this uh, unveiling or awakening um, for people was really good for our clients and our staff to see it's been really interesting, especially when we're picking juries and in trials and jury selection, how much more juries are kind of open to saying, well, you know, the police weren't honest or the police weren't, you know, we, they don't automatically trust the police like they used to. So I think they keep a far more open mind during trials. Um, and we see that in jury selection, which so it's a big shift in the community there, which I think kind of paves the road for progress going forward. I actually forgot this. You're a huge history buff. So you could probably tap into just how long the civil unrest has been going. If if 14, 1500s back further, I mean, do you have an early recollection? I know this is kind of on the spot. Yeah. I mean, a huge history buff. I was a history major. Well, I was a double major in history and political science and I had a Russian language minor. So I was more of a Cold War specialist, which is really coming up now with the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So I have this whole like educational file in the back of my mind with all these Cold War Russian facts that I've been able to be like, wait a second, we got to talk about this. But I don't think you can ever study history without learning about the history of Black people, slavery, the United States the civil war and how this entire country has really had to reconcile those issues and how we're still trying to reconcile those issues going forward. So I can't even give you like a pinpointed time of when, like I took an interest in that issue, but it was very early on. Like I remember even in junior high digging into those issues and classes that I had and classes that I took in college and like seminars that I took as a senior and papers that I wrote, uh, so I, I think that's something you always have to kind of look at, but I think any kind of cultural um, oppression that widespread is one that everyone is pretty familiar with, especially when you're a scholar of history. And I also happen to have a strong interest in the Ukrainian conflict that's currently going on right now. Gosh, we could go down that as well. Mm. I guess I'll ask for your, I'll ask for your opinion on this. 
especially with a lot of people I've talked to, and I've been done, doing a great job of listening more so than speaking on this topic. Do you think that schools kind of hide a lot of the truths from the slavery, the oppression, all of it? Like just going back in United States history, did you really have to dig deep into your studies to uncover certain incidents and truths, facts, all that? I think it was a pretty honest study that I went, especially when I got into college, like I don't, no one was trying to be politically correct about slavery. I think people were pretty upfront and honest about how horrific that was. And we get into Supreme Court cases and landmark issues, especially in the South during the 60s and how horrendous and deep rooted racism has been. And I don't, I don't think that was sugarcoated. I think that maybe early on for some things, it's a pretty like cookie cutter version of U.S. history that gets taught, especially with younger kids, because it's hard to dig into those issues with people who are in elementary school. But I think the more you dig into history, it's really hard to lie to intellectual people about how horrific slavery um, was and how difficult and how poor of a job this country has done reconciling that issue over the last uh, couple hundred years. Completely agree. We'll go one last question before we dive in back into CrossFit. Russia, how much then has it changed from communism, everything over the last, from when you started studying Cold War into now or even back further? This could be an entire podcast in and of it. This question uh, could be an entire podcast. That's why there's cliff notes. There are lots of cliff notes. Um, I think some things have changed, but some things are certainly the same. I was actually there. I studied abroad for about seven weeks after I graduated from college. So I was there. I think you see a lot of Soviet Union memorabilia still. I think many people in the country, depending on who you're talking to, will refer to those as kind of the good old days because it felt like the country was in a position of power and people felt proud to be members of that that country that was essentially a world superpower during the vast majority of the 80s and the 90s even going back 60s, 70s, that felt like you were part of a big international superpower in a really strong country. So many people looking back felt like the country was in a better place and they could be proud to be part of that. Um, I think Putin's a big, longstanding individual from that era and sees that Russian dominance and Russian power is the only way that that country can be strong and people feel proud to be Russian, I do think you, you're seeing like protests now. I think you're always going to people opposing the war. I don't think everyone is a huge Putin backer. I think there's widespread pushback against that. Um, so I do think some things are still the same. Uh, but I think there is a there's always going to be a shift to kind of counterbalance that. But I, you know, this isn't even just about Russian dominance. I think if you were really to dig into these issues, I think this is a lot about natural resources and access to natural resources. And I think if you dig into anyone that has a more recent specialized interest in this issue or training in this issue is going to talk about this is, has a lot to do with natural resources and access to them. From the little things I've seen that seems to be near the top of the topics and the reasons why things are going on right now the way they are, I'm a novice when it comes to this stuff. So this is a big we can definitely talk about a little bit off air, that's for sure. Your athletics, where do the love for them spawn from? You know, I thought about this before, you know, our podcast and before this episode today, and I have a great love of athletics. I love sports of all kinds. And I just love seeing people who are the best at what they do be able to perform and really put their hard work and their abilities 
to the test at the highest stage and also be able to kind of showcase all their efforts and their talents and their gifts. And I, it's been a great outlet for me as someone who really loves to train um, to be able to participate in sports and athletics. I think it really is a good outlet for me to do that. Um, I think it's a really healthy for way for me to dig into something and then be able to showcase you know, all of my talents and hard work. I mean, my brother is a fantastic athlete as well. He and I share a love for that. So it's kind of a sibling um, journey or shared sibling love for sports and athletics. Um, We both grew up show team water skiing. Uh, I also was big. I did studio dance. I did tap jazz for over 10 years. Um, So you want to talk about having good footwork, good core stability, coordination, being able to find rhythm and move slowly or move smoothly in order to move more quickly. I think those things really helped me be the CrossFit athlete that I am today. Um, you want to talk about water skiing, my stability, ankle mobility, where like I am comfortable being upside down. Um, so I think a lot of those things and like being able to get out of your comfort zone and play sports and try new things and get into things that you're really good at and then see like how much you can really push your talents to see how good you really can be is something that I really enjoy. And I think that it really brings out a lot of people's character is that like sports, CrossFit, whatever physical activity people really enjoy, they have this opportunity to dig in and find the best version of themselves, wherever that is for them. And I've always preached, especially with women that I've coached, especially men too, but I think women are in such are on such a journey right now in terms of like fitness and how do you're supposed to look and like, what are your expectations? It's like, well, you bring the best version of yourself today. Um, Whether you're an athlete, whether you're a student in my class and that you bring the best version of yourself and you find the things that you're good at and you push on them and you work on your weaknesses and you make it the best hour of your day. And I just think you really see this transition. I, I just noticed it in women, some men too. Um, when they become more confident in their physical abilities, how much that impacts their mental capabilities and what they're able to bring out at work. And maybe they're able to assert themselves more in a meeting and they feel like they're not just hiding in the background anymore. But so I think to come back to your question, though, I think sports gives that to people. It gives people confidence to move in their bodies, to feel comfortable in their bodies, to push their own limits, to get out of their comfort zone, to get better at something and actually see tangible results and themselves being better at something. And I also think that it contributes to how people mentally perceive themselves. I think if you talk to any top athletes, whether they're in professional sports, CrossFit, what have you, like your mental game in sports is just as important as your physical training regimen and your recovery and your nutrition. And like, what are you doing mentally to set yourself up for success, both in sports and athletics and in life? And I really think that athletics has this wonderful gift of bringing that together for people. My gosh, they really do. I'm trying to really circulate a question. I'm going to bring one out of thin air right now. Give me three. Give me three of your favorite athletes who display the discipline, the confidence, just people that you really enjoy watching. You can be from any sport. You know, I actually think Tia Claire Toomey from CrossFit's the person that automatically comes to mind. And one of the reasons I think that is she's a great athlete on the floor. I think she's a great ambassador for the sport and for women because it's not all about how she looks on her. It's like she really just wants to be the best athlete 
and see how much she can do. I think her pursuit of doing bobsled was really inspiring. Uh, like she can take a break from CrossFit where she is the queen and try something new and be good at it and get out of her comfort zone and try something new. And it's not just about, she's built a business with her husband with like proven training. So she's gone to be an entrepreneur. She's tried different things, gotten out of her comfort zone. Uh, I think that she inspires people all the time to be better. And she wasn't always like, poof, I'm at the top. Like she's had to sit in that back spot in the second place spot two years in a row. Um, and she's from kind of a small town in Australia. Um, so always an athlete throughout her life, but she's always kind of worked hard and even in the face of adversity has come back. So I think she's definitely someone I think of, um, funny, you should bring this up. I was actually thinking about Tom Brady as a quarterback who just recently retired. And I just think of the business he's built and his kind of renaissance of Tom Brady after he left the Patriots and how he's been a family man and built a business and was like, was able to leave and do it all in a new team and face adversity and come out with it. Um, so although he's, he's the goat of football, I think that on and off the field, he is this incredible individual, um, how he has worked on his recovery, his, not only his fitness and able to do it at the age he does it at, but how much he gives to the game mentally and how much your mental game, especially at his age, makes him as good as he is. Like, is he a great physical player? Yeah. But does his like mental ability to look and read the field come into play and make him one of the best quarterbacks or the best quarterback of all time? Absolutely. And it's his mental game and focus that gets him there on top of being, um, you know, having all the stats and leaving the league at the top, you know, of every rating basically this last season. Um, so Tia Claire, Tom Brady. While you think about this, I'll actually ask you a question about Tia Claire to me. I believe it was, gosh, was it the 2016 movie where I know that she plays second and they always put that focus on her mental capacity and her self-talk and how she she thought of herself lesser than anyone else around her almost to a certain degree. I honestly cannot remember who won. It was Katrin, that's right. So it was probably the first or the second year. So the evolution of Tia Claire to me. Is that something, I mean, so have you been with her and in her corner since, since day one, have you like really enjoyed just how much of a transformation she's made over the last five years? I think there's the trans. I actually was, I went to the 2016 games. It was the first time I went to watch in person. So I remember being in the stands and watching that all get announced, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then I remember watching the documentary and I, I know exactly what scene you're talking about where she's like in tears and talking to Shane Orr and, um, how coming in second was almost worse than not with, than any other place. Cause it was like being the first loser to her rather than just being second. Um, so I think after seeing that and seeing her at the 2016 games and then come back and completely changing that mindset and how important that is to your training, I think her evolution of that moment coming back to win and then training with Matt Frazier last year, like she's had this huge evolution of how like, you thought she was really good and then she finds ways to get better. So as an athlete, I think that's pretty outstanding. And then to go on and build a business that she's built and still be able to perform at that high level. It's outstanding. Yeah. That's 16 hours a day of nonstop moving. Cause you got to sleep eight. I'm assuming that most of them prioritize and prioritize their sleep. Probably at least eight to 10. Uh, do you, do you have that third athlete before we move on? You know, I think it's hard. And I, you know, those are kind of two that come to mind. I think that 
just thinking of athletes off the top of my head, like one of the other people I thought of right away was LeBron James. I think you can't help but think about Tiger Woods and what he did for the game of golf. I mean, I think of Simone Biles and what she did in terms of. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um one of the best gymnasts in the world and how she kind of overcame some mental health issues within the last year, um, even after the Olympics and how she kind of became an advocate for that. So especially thinking of like just those individuals and how much, you know, I love sports and people be the best at their gifts and at their craft that they can be those kind of all come to mind, but you can't mention like LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Simone Biles. They're just some of the best in the business who really changed the way we look at all of those sports. Like we thought one way about basketball and then Michael Jordan came and then, you know, LeBron James shows up. We thought one way about gymnastics and then we saw Simone Biles. Like and she changed not even just the narrative, especially when it comes to race and gymnastics, um, but also about body image, like on how like you can be a little powerhouse and you don't have to be real thin to be the best gymnast in the world anymore. Like it's about how powerful you can be and how strong you can be and how much that makes you a better gymnast. Like that, that changed the way we think about nutrition and how, and the aesthetics of gymnastics and also for women and how you think you can look. Um, while she's also in fantastic shape, uh, she's also really strong and what that aesthetic and that body image does, you know, for women. And I think that's huge. Her athleticism is absurd. Some of the things that she was been doing over the last four or five years, it, um, she's on another playing field. And I don't know if judges take that into account. And when she quote unquote, doesn't hit her perfect tens, they almost come down on her in a certain sense. And I think maybe that's part of the reason outside of so many other things that kind of cluttered her during the last games, I would assume just trying to hit that high standard every time. That's, it's not an easy task. No, and what that kind of pressure does to you day in and day out and then have to show up and do it. I think those, it's hard, obviously. And, you know, I would have no idea what that is on a day-to-day basis, but I don't think anyone discounts like how hard you have to work and then how much pressure that puts on you to be the best in the world day in and day out. A hundred percent. Speaking of pressure, being a lawyer and being a pretty highly competitive CrossFit athlete has, I guess, is there a comparison to when you're on the floor of, let's say, a Wadapalooza or a Granite Games when you're competing individually as, and then also being in the courtroom in a very high-pressure situation? Is there, again, I know we talked about it earlier, but do both of those moments, all that are completely different things, do they, do they coincide? Do they help you? I mean, again, preparation, all that stuff. I think preparation is a lot of it, like just trusting in your abilities and your prepared and your preparedness and your training to do it, uh, at least for CrossFit. And I think then when you're most on in trial, when you're kind of in that flow state in trials and you know that case forward and backwards, you know the facts better than everybody else, including opposing counsel. Um, so I do think that like trusting your abilities and trusting your training and trusting all the work that you put into prepare and prep goes a long way. But also like you have to trust that you have the skills to do what you're going to do. Like you can do all the training in the world, but if you don't have the skills to do it, then it doesn't matter. 
Um, so I think that's, those all come into play. Um, you know, that being in trial is a huge thing. Someone used to ask me like, what are your, the top three things in the world? And I would say like, well, winning CrossFit events, winning trials and something else that I won't mention on your podcast. Um, so <laughs> that's fine. So to just talking about like how big those wins are. And I think that what makes that what's, what makes you a competitor, that's what makes you a trial lawyer and what makes you an athlete. So I really think that those it's, I don't think it's unusual to me or surprising to me that I happen to enjoy being a trial lawyer and managing a litigation team at the public defender's office. And I also love doing high level competitive CrossFit. I think they really, it blends my personality and what I value. So I, it's not surprising to me. I've got to tell you that there would be moments where I would be like at Wadapalooza or Granite Games, like in the middle of these crazy events, like swimming in the water or running in the middle of the French countryside. And I would be like, what am I doing? Like, I'm supposed to be back in my office in Minneapolis in front of my <laughs> laptop. And here I am like, like sprinting up a hill, wearing a weight vest, or I'm in the water about to like run up and do sandbag carries in front of, you know, hundreds of people. So sometimes I have this like, oh, you're here. Yep. Wow. And that's your other life. Um, so I kind of have these like, huh, moments when I'm in the middle of doing some crazy event. I'm like, I could be safely back in my office, but instead I've chosen and have trained to be right here. The Bruce Wayne Batman transformation kind of is how, how that works. That's for sure. Gosh, the CrossFit Open, I believe you said 2012. Was that your first one or did you go 2011? 2014, actually. So I'm a little earlier. Oh, okay. So yeah, you're right around my era then. Over the last, and it's, we're looking at eight years, have you seen changes in the Open? Do you think it's changed dramatically? Are you continuously as passionate about it as you were back in 2014? You know, I am. And I think there, I think there has been a shift. If you ask me one of my first workouts, it might've been yours too, was seven minutes of burpees. And I was like, what is this? Um, so I think that the workouts every year get better and they're a better test of fitness um, rather than just trying to throw difficult things at people. So I think they've started to really look at how are we going to test people to get them to advance on to the next stage? And how do we also make it accessible for the worldwide CrossFit community? Cause it's not just trying to make it accessible or test people to get to what was regionals or the games or now semifinals or quarterfinals. Like we also want to make sure that it's accessible for people in gyms across the world. And I think that comes down to like equipment lists and what do people need to have available to them to participate? So how do we make it as inclusive as possible while also making it a good test of fitness? And I think that's a really delicate balancing act. What I like, and you'll probably get that you were in the early stages with me, is that during some of the open workouts, people would get their very first ring muscle up or very first bar muscle. Up. And my God, like the energy in that CrossFit space, like people are in tears. It was like watching like a soccer match at, like in Manchester. Like it was like, yes, everybody got their muscle up. And it's this huge moment or people hit PRs. Um, so some of those moments were so great. And, but I get that they've taken some of those what we've called more advanced workouts or tests and putting them at the quarterfinal stage. Um, but I still think that those little keeping a couple of those opportunities for the CrossFit community to hit at like their Friday night lights event at gyms across the world is something special uh, for people to, again, like hit that PR, hit that first muscle up. I think those are huge moments. I hope they always keep some element of that in the open and give people that opportunity to experience that. 
I think you notice on the equipment list, you're like ring muscle ups won't be in there, but you know, bar muscle ups might be, so maybe people get their first bar muscle up. Um, last year they had that break during 21.3 and 21.4 to do like a one rep max of that weightlifting complex. So I think those are really fun for the community to see. Um, so I do think there's been a little bit of a transformation of the open to be as inclusive as possible, but also be a good test of fitness. And I hope again, they always keep those opportunities to get your first of something or hit a PR. Um, but I do think that having the quarterfinals as a next step is great to keep those kind of middle range athletes engaged um, and in their gyms to qualify for semifinals is a great step. Uh, before it was like the open qualified you for regionals, which was awesome. And then you qualified to the games. And then for a while there was this, you qualified for the games, but then it also could qualify you for other events. And now, so that's been kind of an evolution over years, but I do think that the inclusion of quarterfinals is a great opportunity for people. And then having semifinals that you can get seated to after that is a good progression. I like kind of where it is right now. If the CrossFit Games people really ask me for my opinion. I've talked to obviously Caitlin Ferry and she's explained the whole process. It all makes complete sense. So that addition is great. I, I do agree. All right. One quick question before we dive into the final one, the, let's see the last open workout. So it used to be the fifth. Now we're looking at the third. That's always been my personal favorite just because I, I know that this is it. And that, I think that comes from an, athlete's mentality is the preparation piece number one but also knowing that you can just go all out on this very last one and just know that you left it all on the floor do you is that was did you always have like did you love the first one did you love the last one or was or did they all just blend in together they all just kind of blend together for me and you had a video of them all so I always was like well like sometimes my best workout wasn't always my last workout. Sometimes it was the deadlift handstand push-up workout in the middle. Um, yep. so I think I would always try to hit them as hard as possible. Um, get the videos done and then just move on. But then there's some that really hurt that were going to be my best event. And you just kind of have to black out and go. Those are so, yeah. The ones that are in your wheelhouse, like you just said it, deadlift handstand push-up and then handstand walk in the middle. Yeah. I, I think that would be yours. Uh, these last 10 months, I think, yeah, roughly 10 months. I know that they've been very humbling for you and a test of your patience. How have you been feeling mentally, physically, emotionally, just throughout this entire process of rebuilding your hamstring and just rebuilding your body? You know, and I, it was, I tore my meniscus in my knee. And so I did that in February. So right before the open last year, I didn't really realize it until after the open in April and I was trying to prep for quarterfinals and then finally had it fixed in April with uh, Dr. Chris Larson from TCO, who I just want to give a shout out to because he did a fantastic job. His team did just a fantastic job with my surgery um, in terms of getting me in and doing a great job cleaning everything up. Um, as I mentioned before, I haven't done CrossFit without lawyering and been a lawyer without doing CrossFit. So it was a big change for me who is really disciplined when it comes to training. Like I don't miss training days. Like I really get in, get my work done and then I go to work. Um, so it's been really humbling for me. It's been a true test of my patience to really take everything kind of one day at a time. Cause you know, I, all I want to do is get back to doing what I do. Um, so there've been some tests for me about like, doing what you can do when you're cleared to do it and not doing it too soon and rush. Like I did, I've done so much work to do PT with Brady Soley at 
training house in Egan and Chris Stoney, who's been one of the trainers there. So that duo has really been in my ear every week about what I can do, what I can't do. I maybe pushed a little too hard and I got a little time out. Um, and uh, they know what I want to do and they get it and they've done everything they can thus far and continue uh, to get me back there and have given me, you know, all the exercises to do the extra training to do, to get back there, you know, back on the competition floor, lifting heavy weights and running around doing thrusters and bar facing burpees. Um, so I just also can't think, um, Lindsay Frazier was like my care person after surgery and like stayed overnight with me. Who's been one of my dearest friends and athletes support people, Danny Yeager at CrossFit Kingfield, our good friend and gym owner has been in my corner nonstop. Um, so just, there've been some people on the way that have really kind of been my touchstone when I had some pretty low points about trying to figure out what I was going to do with this really stressful job and no outlet and not being able to do CrossFit. I mean, there are some really, really tough days. And if ever, and if everyone tells you that, you know, certain recovery is great. I mean, they're telling you the rosy side of the coin because there are some really low points. Um, my coach, Tina Marini at CrossFit Invictus was there every step of the way and has been programming for me every single week to make sure that I can still train and have fun and move. And like, I remember the second week, he's like, just go move, do these things, just move, like just do some strict pull-ups, maybe do like anything that I could do with just my upper body. Even if I had to sit down with my legs straight on a bench and do dumbbell strict press, like bench assisted push-ups and row on one leg with a glider, um, just so that I could get moving because it was going to help me like mentally, emotionally, and physically just to keep moving. Um, so I've, I'm really lucky that I have a really great team that gets me that knows that I can be a little bit of a crazy person. Um, that I need people to throttle me back as much as I need people to tell me that your patience is going to pay off. Um, but now I, you know, I can look back now where I was on crutches after surgery and I didn't see an end in sight. And all of a sudden I was walking and then I was, um, out of my brace. And so, and every week I could feel like I could add a new movement. Um, but I tell it's been a journey and it's, I think I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about the people around me and how much they care about me. Um, I just think that if anyone has a surgery or if they have, you know, some big life changing thing that changes the way they move, that there is a road to recovery and there's a road to come back. It's not going to be easy, but you have to find the people to support you and that you can do it. Uh, but I think it's being patient and really knowing who, what you need and who you need in your life to do it, but that it's possible. So that would just be my message to them. And as hard of a, and learning of a journey as it can be that people should realize that. It's like being born again would be kind of a correlation. I'm actually going to add one quick follow-up to this. I know the competitor that you are in during those stages when you couldn't move. So it was probably like week, week and a half and you were going nuts. Was there anything from a competitive standpoint that you found around your house or something that you were able to replace that with, to replace CrossFit with? Um, probably nothing in particular. There was a brief moment where our gym did like our Wadtoberfest workout. Luckily, my good friend, uh, Sean Wiener had had hammer toe surgery at the same time. So we could essentially be our own adaptive version of Wadtoberfest. So that was really fun for me. Um, so nothing in particular that's really done it. I go, every time I have to go in 
to Training House in Egan, which is a fantastic facility, by the way. I just have to give them a shout out. They've been great. Um, I have to come in for what we call track tests, essentially returning to athletic competition. So every time I have to show up for one of those, like I pack my bag as if I'm going to my own little competition with myself. Like I pick up my favorite outfit, my like all my shaker bottles are ready. Like I get a really good night's sleep. I try to have all my like normal pre-competition meals. Um, so it's like a competition for myself to see how much I've progressed with my training and how ready I can be to bounce back. So that's what I kind of end up doing with myself. So I don't get in any trouble trying to push things that I'm not supposed to push. Gosh, that's a great way to do it. Like, I think somebody said, put your shoes on. And then what do you do after that? Just put your shoes on, move, do what you know best. So that's a great way to do it. Here are your five fast ones, Lindsay. Your all-time favorite movie. What is it? Um, oh, these are my five fast ones. And see, you know, these are the hardest questions that you can ask. <laughs> um, my all-time Good. favorite movie. Um, your five fun ones. We'll change it to that. Can I, do I have to go in order? No, you do not. Should okay. I just switch to the second one? Let's go to the second one. All right. I love your musical tastes. We're fairly similar. Do you have a go-to song at all? My favorite one rep max song is when the levee breaks by Led Zeppelin. I can't think of how many one rep max snatches or clean jerks I've hit with either when the levee breaks or cashmere by Led Zeppelin. So like lifting songs, like that is my favorite, like everything else kind of depends on my mood, but given that we're on the Jesse Velasquez podcast, I have to use like, my biggest lifting song, my one rep max go-to, When the Levy Breaks, Led Zeppelin, hands down. Oh, I am a Zeppelinite. And Cashmere was my Zeppelin lifting song. And then and just because of Thor Ragnarok and now the Vikings have been using it so much. I can't even think of the dang name of the song anymore. Come through the land of the ice and snow. I'm just going to sing it. So that one. <laughs> I'll come back with the name later. Favorite purchase under $100 this year. Do you have one? I just bought a great new candle at Kowalski's. What scent? Mahogany coconut. I love the Kowalski, the Kowalski's in Uptown. And they have this great gift shop. And once in a while I splurge and I get like a new candle. You wouldn't think it looking at me, but like I have a, I'm a sucker for the gift shop. And I love the new scent of the candle that I just bought. So. So simple. And I, yeah, coconut's sweet. Question number four. Using three words, describe yourself and, or if others, how they describe you. Independent, determined, and reliable. You know, given my surgery, I would really like to put in the word adaptable in there, given that I've moved homes, had surgery, and gone through a whole lot, um, shuttled my litigation team through a pandemic and Zoom court. Um, but I, top there, probably independent, determined, and reliable. I get things done. I can't think of three better words to describe you. So yeah, you nailed it. And it's the immigrant song. How in the world did I forget that? Yes, Jesse. I don't know how we missed that. Oh my gosh. It's a legendary song. All right. We'll go to question five, which is really four. What do you think 22.2 is going to be? Actually, I'm going to ask your movie. So all-time favorite movie to come back to that question, because we're going to talk about the 2022.2 workout last. Perfect. Um, favorite movie. I'm going to say it's Red's. Nobody's probably gonna know what it is. It's this great movie with Warren Beatty and Diane Keaton and Jack Nicholson about Jack Reed. Um, fantastic! It's really it's long. It's really well acted, but I just fell in love with the characters. 
and the historical time era. Of course, it's a movie about the Cold War. Um, wonderful film, though, really well acted and one of my favorites. Jack Nicholson's incredible. Oh my gosh, how many roles he's done that I can think of that are legendary. Hold a spot in my heart. 22.2. What do you think? Jump roping and something else. Um, I think we're going to see a repeat of 21.3 and 21.4 in week four. I'm calling it. I think there's going to be a repeat. Um, So either like the 30 double unders and ground to overhead workout that I think Scott Panchik and Rich Froning demoed whenever that came out. So that I thought might be one, um, but I definitely think we're going to see jump roping and bar facing burpees. But so those are my thoughts. Two movements. Okay. Yeah. I be couplet. I think it's going to include a jump rope. Yeah, it has to. I mean, it's in the equipment list. Yep. So I guess before you promote things that are near and dear to you, was your first open workout then the double unders power snatches from 2014? No, it was seven minutes of burpees. Oh goodness. Okay. It was that seven minute AMRAP of burpees to a six inch reach. Yeah. What could be better? Worst? <laughs> I don't know. Listen to the slowest music possible that keeps your heart rate down. That's I, I the couple of times that I've done, I did it once alone. I put on two of my favorite bands and like the most acoustic stuff that they had. My heart rate just stayed down. Just got it into his own. I don't know about you. <laughs> you got to do it. Exactly. All right, Lindsay. My gosh, this was way better than I had anticipated it being. On your way out, promote anything. So social media projects because you're full of them. You promoted a lot of things when you're talking about your rehab. So I'm going to have to throw all that under the header too. Um. Training House in Egan. I want to give the whole team there a shout out, especially my physical therapist, Brady Soley, and my trainer, Chris Doney. Uh, my coach, Tina Marini from Invictus. Lindsay Frazier, my longtime athlete support person and dear friend. She's like my version of Sammy Moniz to Matt Frazier in an athlete support capacity. Um, Danny Yeager from Kingfield, dear friend. Um, the Kowalski's on Hennepin, which probably is the reason I haven't starved to death within the last 12 years. Um, I think that's it. I'm a, I'm not great at social media and I'm not great at being or attempting to be an influencer at all, but, um, to the community at Kingfield, my entire team and staff at the public defender's office. Um, thanks for being my family and Jesse, thank you for having me. I have, so to do, to prepare myself for the questions I was going to give you, I scrolled through your Instagram and how simple you are. It's great. It's fitness, some law, the outdoors. Yeah. A little bit of family. Yep. Oh, they're in there too. I should really give them a shout out. They are not podcast people, but uh, my brother is probably one of my best friends. Yeah. Uh, and my parents who are like not loud, shiny people have always supported their like little blonde engine that could on whatever crazy journey I was on where I was like, I'm deciding I'm going to go to law school. Like I'm going to be a CrossFit athlete. I'm going to Paris or like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to Olympic weightlift now. Do you want to come watch me lift heavy weights? Like they're like, okay. So my parents have always supported whatever crazy mission I've committed myself to doing. Um, so I should really just thank them for their support along the way and never questioning anything that I was doing. They're like, yep, Lindsay's in this now. So I just, I should probably give them a huge shout out for always supporting whatever venture I'm on or whatever I'm deciding to do. Huge thank you to Lindsay's mother and father. Without 
them, you wouldn't be speaking to me right now. You are an extremely well-rounded person. You've excelled at everything that I've that you talked about. Obviously, there's probably some other things that you truly excel at. It's been a marvel getting to know you and watch you from a from a personal perspective. See you a couple days a week, and just, again, it's an honor to have you on here. And people got to know a little bit more about Lindsay Sayoka today. So thank you. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah. Episode 55. Unplugged and Undeniables in the books. JCBWellness.com and JCB Wellness on Instagram. We will see you on the flip side. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.